Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. I hope you all had a safe holidays and a happy new year. Um, as much as we would like to put 2020 behind us and in the rear view, there are still a handful of troubles that we still need to be going through and have to be careful of over the next couple of months, but hopefully over the course of this year, we'll be able to hopefully see some change, and that's all you can ask for at this point. Um... Thankfully enough, though, in these troubling times, anime is definitely not slowing down. In fact, it's speeding up with all the majority of the shows that were delayed in the previous year have now finally decided to make their debuts in the winter 2021 season. That's probably going to be a topic for the next uh, show, but at least for this one in particular, we can get started with the news leading into the new year. So, Studio Caro held its final Evangelion first in-house preview screening. The film is finally going to be debuting, although in Japan. On January 23rd. At this point in time, we have no idea when or how it's going to be making its way overseas, so at this point in time, there's not really much that we're going to be able to do, and we'll just have to wait and see how the hype and praise translates inside the Japanese audiences, and we'll just have to go through. Speaking of a handful of films, HBO Max is going to add a handful of films to their catalog on, starting on January 12th. And so that's going to be Night is Short, Walk on Girl, Promare, Ride Your Wave, and the ReZero film. So all of these, eh, well, to be fair, I haven't seen... Oh, sorry, not the ReZero film, uh, ReZero's director's cut for season one, which is extended and has a handful of extra scenes that they were able to incorporate into uh, the new uh, anime's run. So I don't know, I it's one of the only big shows that I haven't seen as of late. Just because it really doesn't entice me that much. The setting, the main character, Subaru, doesn't really seem like he is that uh, coherent or just engaging with protagonists. So, I don't know, maybe maybe if it ends sometime in the future, there's the second part of the second season is going to be airing pretty soon. So, people are going to be excited for that to go through since they were all ridiculously glad that they were finally able to go through after a four-year hiatus to get their second season. Um, but the other three films, Ride Your Wave, Promare, Night is Short, Walk on Girl, all immediate uh, recommendations to me. Everybody should give those an opportunity when they have the chance. Um, on top of soundtracks and music, Anime International is going to release a Ghibli vinyl collection, including soundtracks from films like Howl's Moving Castle, My Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, Nuska the Valley of the Wind, and one of my personal favorites, if not my favorite Ghibli film, Porco Rosso. And it's it's always just an interesting bid because I've been seeing the distribution and vinyl sales like increasingly rise after a dead state that it was going through in the 2000s, but now it's just like one of the most popular forms of collective media that you can find. I'm not really going to be jumping through. I haven't really been much of a collector myself anyways, so at least I'm glad, though, that those kinds of soundtracks will be able to like, grant new light and a new life on this new, uh, different uh, piece of media. A manga that I've been reading for a year or two now, uh, Shigamori is Just Not That Cute, is getting a anime adaptation. It's a romantic comedy manga about this newly uh, brought-together high school couple, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's really fun. It's fluffy. It's lighthearted. I really enjoy it. Um, and leading into considering that there's already been an episode or two out already, Attack on Titan's uh, final season has been listed for 16 episodes. We are going to get a 16-episode bid, which I was also kind of curious in the beginning, since from what I heard from manga readers, thankfully I haven't necessarily been going through any spoilers or haven't caught any yet, 
partially because I don't have that much social media, but in this case, they were kind of concerned that a 12 to 13 episode run probably wouldn't have been enough to catch up and try and finish and complete the entire story in of itself, but now that it's listed for 16, I can kind of feel a little more soulless that they'll actually be able to have a little more time to spread out the final season and actually give enough time to give it a proper conclusion. I don't want it. I've had, jeez, I've said it multiple times on this podcast before. I do not want another Game of Thrones season eight. I do not want to invest all this time and all these years of watching this piece of media that I love and enjoy just completely hit the shitter in its final run on its final lap. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to go through that ever again. It's kind of tragic. So was this year, but to be fair, there was a handful of things that I was able to finally complete. I thought that leading into the new year of 2021, the last time, one of the only times I will look back on 2020 is to kind of take a look on what my anime consumption was like and how I was able to go through with all the extra time I had during quarantine. So on paper, this has probably been, even with all the free time that I've had, on paper, this was my least productive anime year of all time. Like, it, in terms of numbers, I only completed... Tw no, 13. I only completed 13 series with the addition of watching four sequels. Four sequel seasons. And that's kind of insane to me, even with that time. Uh, but probably one of the main reasons why I didn't get as much on paper, but in terms of consumption in total, I was finally able to clear off three distinct shows that have been on my to-watch list for years. Years. Because they were so long and they were so intimidating to finally actually jump into them. But considering the time I had, I was already able to get these crossed off my list. So in terms of length, we'll start with Roroni Kenshin, an around 80 episode anime that was incredibly famous and notorious in the 90s and the 2000s, considering it got it was one of the most popular bids that got its run on Toonami, as well as a handful of networks inside of Canada. One of the most influential titles at the time to go through, especially with a pretty good dub, to be honest. Steve Bloom, eat your heart out. But yeah, no, I would say of the three that I watched, Roni Kenshin was kind of on the lower end of the spectrum, kind of like a seven-ish uh, to get through. And eh, it's I, like the only thing that I could go through is that everybody, there was always, including all three of these shows that I'm going to talk about, all three of them have one arc, one distinct arc that everybody comes back to and everybody praises to no end. And for Roni Kenshin, it was the Kyoto arc, where we finally ended up getting uh, Kenshin versus Lord Shishio. And the long-ass nine-headed dragon move that I will never try to re replicate because it's absolutely ridiculous. Although it was kind of funny in the sense that inside of the uh, English dub, they didn't even bother to translate it. It was literally just the nine-headed dragon, whatever the hell you wanted to end it off with, just all in Japanese. <laughs> it was absolutely, it was, it was still kind of ridiculous to go through, but it still melded well in every episode except for the one episode where he actually had, where Kenshin had to learn the technique and it was just repeated like six times over the course of six minutes. Yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. Um, so I can definitely see why the Kyoto arc was so revered and so just highly praised at that point in time. So I can give it that credit. Unfortunately, just like a handful of these other shows, it was highly episodic in the first half, which sucks considering that I would have to go through 
around 25 to 30 episodes just to get used to the characters, but then it's just kind of like episode by episode hijinks for the most of it until you hit the Kyoto arc where it finally ended up getting a reasonably like steady track on the plot and actually moving forward with a specific goal in mind. So that was good. The second longest that I completed, which I think clocks in at around 115 episodes, is another classic show, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho. And it was the same deal where at least the first few episodes were more plot-focused and you were able to get used to uh, the main cast of characters that you were going to be spending a lot of time with throughout the rest of the series, in this long, long series. And I still think I enjoyed it a little more than Roni Kenshin if not for, in in the same deal is that there's always one arc, one arc that is always attributed to this series, and probably the one that started one of the most common shonen arcs in history, which was the Yu Yu Hakusho Dark Tournament arc, which I think spanned for about 45 episodes, which is kind of insane when you think about it, but it is, without a doubt, the best shonen uh, tournament arc that I've still seen to date like, everybody, including myself, just decided to get uh, wise and kind of realize what the trope was and how popular it was at the time when My Hero Academia's uh, second season went through with the Hero Festival arc. But it was, like, this is what everybody goes back to. This is the trend starter. This is the genesis of what you were able to accomplish with a simple formula to not only give the mangaka and the animators a break, but just to still have a relatively good structure and forward motion to bring it forward. As long with Tagoro being like one of the biggest walls for an antagonist I have ever seen in any shonen show, he was an absolutely insane force to be reckoned with. He was a monster, a legitimate demon. And even though I was a little... After the tournament arc ended, I was definitely less invested with the arcs that followed, even though the new power system that they decided to introduce was definitely an interesting way for Togashi to go with it, I actually still enjoyed both that and the ending, but still, Dark Tournament, I'm glad I was able to watch this show just to get that off my chest and to like put that under my belt in general, because the Dark Tournament... It will be a while, if ever, somebody's able to top that particular arc in that particular style. And so the final and longest show that I was able to complete um, in this running in this runtime was 150 episodes with Hunter and with Hunter Hunter's 2011 version, and probably the best shonen I've ever watched, like bar none. It's the way the characters were able to interact and meld off of one of each other with all of their pasts and all of their goals intersecting, sometimes intersecting and sometimes, uh, like, being spread apart. Like, you think that, like every other show, you start off with these four main characters, Kurapika, Leorio, Killua, and Gon, and it's just one of the easiest ways for me to just feel like a show was able to resonate and, like, stick in my mind so well, is if you are able to get me to remember the star cast like that like it was tough for me to remember like of course you got yusuke and then the rest of it's just kind of a blur and then you've got kenshin but then the rest of the cast is just a blur like everybody inside of this series is so memorable and unique and written to such a degree that you would <laughs> that you would love to just go out and have like a drink with one of these guys it was pretty amazing but the arcs were like long but not stretched out the different 
the different locations and goals were varied enough to keep you entertained, and then you finally get to, like, the long shonen arc that everybody was talking about, which was the Chimera Ant arc. And around the time that I got onto Reddit, around early 2013, this is when the arc was being aired week by week, and I think I would have hated this arc if I had to do it in that kind of degree, considering that there is no way with the timing and the spacing and the pacing of what this arc was doing. Let's just put it this way. So imagine 12 episodes go by and you are going at about an episode a minute, considering that there are so many different perspectives and events and fights all going on at the same time. So so 12 episodes, 12 weeks, three months, the Chimera Ant arc in real time has progressed 12 minutes. I would be losing my mind. There would be absolutely no way I could just keep up my sense of enjoyment and engagement if I had to do this, like, week by week. So, being able to do this and, like, jump, like, five to eight episodes a day with this one in particular, like, made it so much more manageable and watchable. And, like, even, unfortunately, I was spoiled for, because I was, like chiming in and like looking in on the episode discussions because I was an idiot and I was just trying to figure out "Eh, is this is this worth it is this one really worth it because I'm getting a lot of mixed reception and mixed signals but even knowing the end goal even knowing how everybody ends up at the end of this arc like what it was able to accomplish and having the context and actually seeing it all unfold before me it's it was insane like no words I could use to describe to, like, bring forward how exceptional this arc is, not just as a shonen piece, but in, for storytelling in general. So I was definitely glad that I could have gotten those three off of my list, because I'm pretty sure Roni Kenshin uh, has been on there since, like, 2014-2015. Like, it has been a long time. In this case, the four sequel series, or not sequel series, sequel seasons that I ended up watching would be um, in ascending order, Higurashi's remake, first 13 episodes, I am skipping through so much of it, it's just, it, it is just baffling to me, considering that I really have no idea why this exists in the first place. I just don't, like, it's, like, for somebody new, it's a good way to, like, lull them into a false sense of security, and, like, give them the cute faces and the moe aesthetic, and then, like, just turn it on a dime and throw them into just chaos and murder and a horrific scene in a small town. But it's got, it's done nothing new. Absolutely nothing new. Like, at that point in time, just point them towards the Studio Dean adaptation that was made back in the mid-2000s. So, halfway through this this uh, series' runtime, it has no reason to exist, which is definitely unfortunate in that regard. I guess... Uh, like, a lot, uh, oh man. a lot of people would have strong opinions on this for Origairu Season 3, considering that we, everybody was finally able to get the, the conclusion that they've been clamoring for since 20... What was it? 2014? 2015 when the first season came out? And I guess I was heavily invested two-thirds into the second season, but, like, even in the first season, not having read the light novels, but knowing exactly where this love triangle was going to go within within the first half of the first season it was just i don't know it really because there was a lot of yui stands out there but it was just wasting my time consistently where it's just 
Wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be cute for the love triangle to go this way, even though every other piece of information and personality and melding and just respect between these characters is so going to end up here that they would waste episodes on episodes just trying to make you feel bad for her and making you think that, oh, it would be great if they would end up together. It's just... Dude, this was, this was season one. And I understand that she's one of your favorite characters, but how else was this show going to end with them having the most amount of happiness? And I understand, like, that sucks, where it's like you have to sacrifice your own happiness and your own love to actually, like, be better as a whole, as a group. But, like, the way that the show was just trying, 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 and trying to push for one of the characters to actually, like, have a chance, it was just like, dude, why are you trying? It's unfortunate. We all know how it's going to end, and we know it sucks, but just, just let it go. Give the other characters time to breathe and actually just point them in towards a better uh, a better position and a better direction, but yeah, I don't know. I guess it just kind of strained my patience, so like, I enjoyed the last few episodes of the third season, and I enjoyed how it concluded, but like, everything in the middle was just really stretched out and really annoying at that time. But in terms of two sequel series that I enjoyed, uh, Fruits Basket's second season has yet to make me cry, but it's pretty fucking close. I'm really enjoying the new background and depth and information that we're getting on all these characters that we that we got to know and love over the course of the first season. And now that we know what the ending is going to be, the question is, how are they going to get there? And is everybody going to be happy in the end? Because that's going to be the biggest question. The only... Because the only bad part or the knock I have against these series, or this series is that every one of the main cast inside the Toma family that we've been able to, you know, get to know and realize why they act the way that they do and actually get a lot of insight into their character and why they feel this way and why they're compelled to do these things, we have that for everybody except Toru. Toru, unfortunately, is the only thing I can knock because she is this pure angelic force of positivity and kindness and so far, all we've given is that both of her parents are dead, so she doesn't want anybody to feel as bad as she does, and we kind of understand that, but in the second season, we know that she's got something locked up. We know that she's been bottling up her emotions, and we know that it's there, but I'm really curious, concerned, but excited that once the lid of that gets opened and we finally get to see why Toru feels the way that she does in a legitimately compelling performance, that is the one moment I'm waiting for in season three, which will probably come out in by the end of this year, and if not, it'll probably be winter of 2022. I don't care how long it takes, I just want them to, because we know that this story is complete, I just want them to have as much time as possible to get this adaptation right. I haven't read the manga, but what it's been able to accomplish in its first 48 episodes is just... Nothing short of, you know, mesmerizing and just so, so kind and so, and so hopeful. Kaguya's second season, better than the first, better directed. Like, it, Kaguya's first season was funny as all hell and the directing was just on point. You can, you can tell and give pro props to the guy that did uh, the directing for um, Rakugo Shinju and the way that he was able to translate that into comedy for a well-known uh, gag manga, uh, well, romantic comedy, I guess. It's nothing short of amazing how funny that they're able to do it with the setups and the payoffs and everything that they're able to incorporate through a visual and audio medium 
it's just been amazing what they were able to do. I, I can't wait for them to go through. Kaguya is really good, really funny, really endearing, and I hope everybody gives it a shot. I guess, so that was all the sequel series that I ended up watching. So, lightning round of shows that I didn't really much care for. Uh, Sing Yesterday to Me, incredibly rushed ending, considering that they tried to wrap it all up in one. Uh, the fact that the two adult characters act with the same emotional maturity as the 16-year-olds in the show was really a big knockoff, because the only reason why I jumped into it, it's like, oh, dude in his mid-twenties. Oh, he has no idea what he wants to do with his life. Oh, that's pretty relatable. Hmm, maybe I can give that a shot. Oh, he's literally just a high schooler in a 25-year-old's body. Eh, well, that sucks. Japan sinks. Good on some parts, and then just totally off-kilter in others, and there's not really much that I could go through. I enjoyed the ending, but getting there was a bit of a trial. It's not really something I would recommend, and unfortunately, I would have to say that this is Yuasa's, like, weakest work, but... If this is his weakest work, then then his other body is his other body of work is just ridiculously um, stacked com- comparatively. Trigger put out a new show, BNA. Didn't really get me to care about many of the characters. Uh, didn't have a lo- enough time to flesh out its world, and just kind of ended with you know a dud. And there's not really much to go through. Wouldn't necessarily recommend. The ending is a banger though. God of High School. If they were not fighting, everything inside of the show just goes downhill. On top of the fact that they tried to rush it, again, because it was a webtoon adaptation, and they really wanted to get as much in as they could, so they did like a slipshod, altered final two episodes to kind of incorporate the story into it, where it's like, yo, we're not god of high school, we are literally just gods now. I understand that, but okay, it, um, um, the fights were serviceable, one or two of them were pretty good, uh, but if they ever decide to come up with a sequel, I am not touching that shit. It's, I I think I'm done with it. And then Decadence, probably, uh, the strongest, well, there wasn't really much of a, eh, okay, second strongest original adaptation, I think. Eh, I I, I would have to look up, because Great Pretender is on this list, and I don't know, I can't, I can't remember if it's a, uh, original. Okay, never mind, it is an original. Um, so yeah, Decadence, second best original work of the year. I really enjoyed it was it was so trigger-esque where it's literally the giant mobile <laughs> the, the first episode includes a giant mobile fortress that is able to use a rocket propelled metal fist that disintegrates its targets it was so insane although unfortunately that was the hypest that the show ever got the rest of it was honestly pretty good it it, it doesn't get a solid recommendation from me but it was still a fun adaptation that got me going in the middle of the year so at least there was that um so I guess leading up to my top three favorite shows that started this year, um, Wave Listen to Me was a great, although sometimes exaggerated version of a lot of just really wacky and stupid adults trying to make their way through life um, as one of the female leads gets herself into radio work. And it was kind of interesting. I guess... One, one of the guys in the R anime podcast definitely like said it best where they the expectation was we were going to get a little more insight on how the radio biz kind of works and we did get a bit of it but not as much as we thought and that's kind of like the only knock 
I can put, take against the show. I would imagine some people are going to find it a little too wacky and a little too over the top. But when I'm actually enjoying these characters to a degree, like that's that's the time when, dude, you can just jump the shark as much as you want. Now that I'm invested in these characters, just just go with it, man. I, I am all for it. Great Pretender, best uh, original series of the year. A little overhyped in the last arc. People... I, I really enjoyed the first three arcs of this, which was, what was it, London of Snow, LA Connection, and something inside of Singapore. Like, those three arcs were really good, and I really enjoyed it. And then the last arc happened, and everybody, a lot of people put it, like, as an immediate 9 or an immediate 10 on their list, and I just couldn't for the life of me go through because the show had no idea what it wanted its final arc to be like did you want it to be this dramatic inter interpersonal and interconflict sort of deal between family and friends and trying to appease the dead or trying to appease yourself or did you want this to be something more of a light-hearted like like romp like the the majority like the other shows were able to dilly back in between you know emotional conflict and comedic drive and a really good payoff for the heists that they're able to complete but there was so much mix-up and so much hand-waving in the final nine episodes of this series which is the wizards of the far east that it threw me off and never just tried to pick me back up again because it had no idea what it wanted to be and people kind of thought that it picked itself back up once you were able to understand and once the curtain was pulled and they were able to figure everything out at the end of it and just show how they were able to complete it. But then it's just kind of like they threw everything and all the emotional turmoil that they were trying to do under the bus over the last eight episodes and that none of that matters. And at that point in time, you could have just condensed this nine episode bid into like four episodes long and you would have been able to have like a much better like concise ending with a better tone better pacing it's i would give it a recommendation definitely because i would not recommend going into this looking looking for like an introspective character driven show you are trying to watch this as an Ocean's Eleven ensemble of people that are making their way through the world and conning some of the most dangerous people alive. That is what you come to this show for. And the first three arcs do that wonderfully. And it also has a really solid dub too. This was probably one of the only shows that I ever flip-flopped between a dub and a sub, where in arcs one and three, when they were in LA and they were in London, I watched uh, the English dub, and then when they went to Singapore, and then when they were on the East, jumping between Japan and China, that's when I went back to the sub. Because it was just, the show really, like, it, the show doesn't really do a good job trying to make you show, or, or trying to show you that these guys are fluent in both languages, but when I decided to take that into a different direction, say, okay, so let's just do, let's just do fluent in English, and then fluent in, like, Japanese, and give them, like, their own sets. I found that to be much more easier to consume and much more to uh, immerse myself in it. So that was honestly good. But my anime of the year, without a doubt, goes to an episode that I'm pretty sure dropped in the first day or two of 2020, which gave me such good hope for the year. And actually, like, it had it was one of the better starts that you could have imagined to a year that everybody's just going to remember for floundering and conflict and, and just horrifying experiences in the midst of a global pandemic. 
But before all of that hit the fan, we had Keep Your Hands Off Azokin. It is up there. It is now one of my favorites. I mean, for anybody that's interested in the creative process, like this is this show is definitely a must watch. The art style can get a little finicky at times, but it's definitely something that is like inane to anybody that's trying to create and trying to make a rough draft and actually like getting a good idea of what they want this thing to be from multiple different perspectives. Uh, Shirobako was definitely a better look into the production side and what those inside the production, whether it comes to voice acting and the animator and the director and the series production and just, and the producers and everybody else who's trying to make this one thing happen. But Azoken goes to the genesis of why they do those things in the first place, why we create in the first place. Why is it, what is it that drives us to put our own imagination and drive and creations out into the world, and why does that give us purpose, and why does that make us whole? So we get Asakusa, the director, who is just incredibly straightforward and wants to create as much as she can, but always has trouble finding compromise to try and figure out where she wants to start. Misasaki, who is our animator that essentially like goes through and wants to do everything herself and tries to make everything as dynamic and and, go, and uh, ridiculous as possible, even though we know that she doesn't have the speed or the manpower or the skill to actually do so, even though she's an incredibly talented animator. And then we have Kanamori possibly the best girl of 2020, who is the producer side of things, the money-wise, the uh, organizer, the one that has to say no, the one character who tells these two ridiculously energetic creatives that all they want to do is push the envelope and try and make everything. It's like, no, this is our budget. This is our deadline. These, This is the amount of time that we have to work on a project. This is the amount of man hours that we can go through. This is the schedule that we have to ap apply by or else the thing does not get made and it doesn't get produced and it doesn't make money. And if we don't make the money, even though we're just a handful of high school students, if we can't produce and finance this, then we don't get to make any new uh, creatives. We don't get to do any new projects. So you have to abide by these rules. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to have a sustainable ground to create anything again. And so it's just in amazing and hilarious to watch all three of these per perspectives bounce off each other. And the fact that they're able to bring everybody under their wing in in of itself and still manage to create the things that they want to do to a level that they are satisfied with, even though Asakusa will never be satisfied. And we all know that. Oh, it was... It, oh, God. Every every episode, dude. Every every single one. I think... Uh, whichever one that they produced and uh, showed their second production was probably, like, my favorite episode of the year and one of my favorite episodes of anime, period, with just everybody coming together and focusing on a goal and trying to complete that to their utmost and doing their due diligence. It was something spectacular to behold. And it's definitely, like, the biggest recommendation I can give out of this year, regardless. So just please go watch it on Crunchyroll and honestly give it an opportunity. I mean, considering that that was one of the only... <laughs> that was one of three Masaki Yuasa works that I ended up uh, putting out this year. The third being Komonozume, which was a much earlier 2000s work that Yuasa um, helped to do. And, and the biggest thing that I can get out of Kimonozume, he was like, so his studio, Science Saru, has this really weird monkey as their mascot, and the one that's on their title card, and the one that is above their name. Where the hell did the monkey come from? And it's just, well, if you go to Kimonozume, 
you will be able to figure out the genesis of why that monkey is so important and why Yuasa is able to respect and deserve your praise. Thank you and good night.